Father, uh, as we get into your word tonight, I do pray, Lord, that, that God, this, this section, this time would just really speak to our hearts. As we're going to look at and, and get the understanding, James was a pretty practical guy and, and just got right down to it and down to the nitty gritty of, of doing life with you. And, and Lord, we're all trying to do that. And we're in the midst of that. And again, we have our ups and our downs. We have our difficult times, our, our sometimes seemingly impossible times, and we have our great times. So I do pray that as we just continue this study, looking at these two books side by side, that, that Lord, you would bless our time and that you would encourage us in this thing we call faith, that you would build us up and make us strong. And Lord, that you ultimately would be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I introduced last week, and again, just kind of real briefly, we're going we're gonna to do a study in, in Galatians and James. So we're going to be going back and forth. I'm not sure. Uh, we got a couple studies where we're going to do both of them at one time. But generally, we'll, we'll skip back and forth as, uh, as uh, they kind of help out each other. But once again, I want to remind us, man, these two books are not contradictory to one another. They're dealing with two different issues going on with the church, but the same topic. The topic is faith. And Galatians, as we learned last time, is all about the counterfeit gospel, which will ruin your faith. James's whole writing is about counterfeit faith that will ruin you also. So whether we're talking about a counterfeit gospel or a counterfeit faith, they're both dangerous. And again, as I said, they complement each other. They go along with each other. And then they were both written about the same time period. Now, having said that, some people I think misunderstood last week. A couple people came and said, you mean they were written the same exact time? No, I don't know that for sure. It'd be kind of cool if they were, but I'm not, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the same time period, somewhere between 48 and 52 AD so that time frame and, and uh, I don't know how close together they were written but it seems like both of these were written before Acts chapter 15 and the Jerusalem council and uh, we'll, again we'll talk about that as we get more involved so as we look at these uh, uh, let's, let's uh, I, my prayer is that we would have a greater understanding of both books but more importantly that we would have a greater understanding of faith and what faith really is and what it's really all about. It's hard sometimes in our generation, our culture, to talk about faith. Because there are so many that teach that you have to have faith in faith. And I'm talking about the word of faith people. And they kind of promote if you just have enough faith. And what they're saying, if you just have faith in faith, you're gonna be okay. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is faith in God and trusting God. So hopefully we're going to get all of that, studying these books, kind of get all of that squared away in our lives so that we can be who God calls us to be. So having said that, a little bit of introduction. I always like to do a little bit of background when we get into a book so we know a little bit about it. And, and I'm not going to spend a real, real long time. You know, sometimes I, I get 
For me personally, I get so involved in the background and the things going on, I, I could like spend four teachings on it and just talk about it. But I know some of you, that would be a major snooze fest. And, and uh, like you'd be going, is he ever gonna get through this? It's like ridiculous. So I'll try and keep it brief, but I dig in and I'm thinking, that is some cool stuff. And, and it's like a voice inside of me goes, not for everyone. So getting into this, we're gonna talk about the author, uh, who he's writing to, when it was written, and kind of the purpose. The author, as we look in the very first verse, is James. And as we said about Paul in Galatians, it says Paul. Well, in Galatians, I believe it's pretty cut and dry who it is. And it always bothers me when people are saying, no, it wasn't Paul the apostle. Well, it had to be, or that's a false writing. And we don't put false things in our Bible. So here James, oh, James gets a little bit more complicated because which James? Don't you wish they had like put their last name? Like there's a whole bunch of Jameses. There's this, almost as many Jameses in the Bible as there are Marys. So right, if Mary would have wrote something and said Mary, we would go, oh my word. Like there's only 400 of them to figure out. Luckily with James, there's only three or four that are are prominent throughout the uh, Gospels and, and uh, in the writings. So the most prominent James that, that I think comes to our mind when we hear James is James, the brother of John. James, the son of Zebedee. James, the son of thunder. And I don't believe he wrote it because the fact that he was martyred. And he was martyred early on. And, and I, just, I just don't count him as, as uh, some of the people do. They contend him as one of the authors. But I think if you follow the book of Acts and when he was martyred, I think it would have been too early to write this book. And so I, I, I don't think it was James. Then you have the other James. I don't know how many of us know. There were two James that were apostles. James, the, the uh, 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 brother of John. And then you have James, the son of Alphaeus, who was another uh, some called him James the Less, and I think, I think that was definitely a term like, you're not James the more, you're James the Less. And, uh, you know, I think, I think, hey, that's, I mean, what other conclusion can you draw? He wasn't James the son, the, uh, son of Zebedee, he was James the son of Alphaeus the Less. So you have him. I don't think he wrote it either because he's just briefly mentioned and on the scene and off the scene. Now, there is another James I don't know how many of us remember when we read Judas, his dad's name was James. I don't think it was him. You know, some people bring him up and I'm thinking, I don't think so. I, I think that's a stretch. And not to say that he's a bad guy. He may have been a very strong guy. So then there's one more James mentioned more prominent. James, the brother of Jesus. I choose him. I think it's him because, hey, it's not just that, you know, that would be really cool, but I, I, I think it's him because of his position and what happened. It is interesting that in the Gospels, before Jesus was crucified, James and his brothers, they rejected Jesus. And that sort of blows my mind. I mean, can you imagine growing up with a brother who was perfect? I know some of us feel like our, our parents did that with our siblings, you know, but this is reality. This is, you really had a brother that was perfect. And I mean, just, just I, I think just growing up with Jesus, you had to see certain things. I'm not saying that, you know, he would come and do miracles in the house and go, house be clean, and it would be clean, and, you know, the room and stuff. But, but I mean, just growing up with him, 
there had to be evidence of things going on. And, and they had to witness that. They had to see that. But they, the brothers and sisters of Jesus or someone, make sure you know, understand, half-brothers and sisters because Jesus is, uh, you know, born of a virgin and the others were born from Joseph and Mary and their relationship. But man, just growing up with that. And they reject him. And then in Acts chapter 2, James is mentioned. All of a sudden, listen, after the resurrection, all of a sudden, this guy's part of the church. He's showing up. He's showing up at that prayer meeting. He's there. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul tells us that Jesus appeared to him. And that had to be a little bit freaky, right? Your brother is crucified. He's buried. And then he comes to see you. I mean, hey, I, again, I think we kind of, that would freak anybody out. So obviously it worked in James's life. He's involved in Acts chapter two. Then by Acts chapter 15, he is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He is the guy that's in that leadership position, which is interesting, isn't it? Not one of the apostles, not one of the big guys, but here's this guy, to me, you know, a latecomer. You know, he wasn't part of that. So hey, you've got him, he's in leadership and has tremendous wisdom. So I believe, I believe that's who it is, and I believe he is the brother of Jesus, and we'll talk a little bit more when he introduces himself, a little bit more about that, but we have him. Who's it written to? Obvious again in the first verse, this is to the 12 tribes scattered. Now listen, he's not writing to Jews, he's writing to Christians who were Jews, because at the time of the writing, still most of the church is Jews who were converted. And let's think about that just for a moment as we introduce these guys, and maybe when I uh, get into it, I'll talk about it a little bit more. But what I find interesting is he's talking about them being scattered. Remember, after Stephen was martyred, the church was scattered. They went everywhere. And let's think about that for a moment. Bottom line, you were raised in your Jewish faith, and now you've come out of that. And you're a believer in the Messiah. You know what happens then? The Jews aren't real happy with you. They're not liking you anymore. So think about, and some of us have, some of us have experienced it just in our own lives. You come to Jesus and your family gets a little bit freaked out. And some family members push you away. I know in my circumstance, when, when I came to the Lord and, and, and got really seriously walking with the Lord and, and I, I asked my dad to take me off the rolls of the Serbian Orthodox Church, caused a little bit of a friction and, and you know, he didn't disown me or anything, but it was tough, it's hard. And some of us have walked through really difficult times. Well, the Jews were really angry. So the Jews are rejecting you and then you have this whole uprising and the Stephen thing and then you're scattered while well, the Gentiles aren't really liking you either because you're a weirdo. You know, you got this Jewish faith and then you're believing in some Messiah that people are saying raised from the dead. So hey, you got a lot of stuff coming against you which might help us understand James writing to them. So he writes to those who are scattered uh, throughout who are trying to, again, do life and, and deal with things. And then as I said, between 48 and, and 52 AD. But what was James addressing? And that's gonna go throughout all of this. And the interesting thing is James hits the ground running. And James kinda, he's almost like, he's almost like Proverbs. There's little nuggets that he just like spits out, you know, and goes for. But his whole purpose in writing is to make us mature. 
I think it's that simple. I think some people get, get real, and hey, I know it's about faith, but when we have our faith in line and good faith, we become mature, grown-up Christians. And I'm not talking about mature by age. I'm talking about mature in our faith. Hey, there's some really old people who have been with Jesus for a long time who are not mature. And so we're talking about that. So James's whole point in his writing and his whole encouragement in his writing is that we would be mature and he lets us know there's things that go on in our life that we need to evaluate and we need to look at real strongly. Now, here's what I find fascinating. People wanna reject James for a challenge this week. I want you to read the book of James and I want you to also read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 the Sermon on the Mount, and read them kind of parallel with each other. And here's what you're gonna find. James doesn't hold a candle to Jesus about getting your act together. And that's why everybody goes, well, I'm gonna listen to Jesus. I'm not gonna listen to James. And you know what else? It tells me that James was heavily influenced by his brother, even though he wasn't there. So I wanna just read a little bit. And in Matthew chapter seven, and this is one verse, or a portion I think a lot of us are familiar with. It's right at the end, 21 and 23. Uh, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice uh, lawlessness. So again, the key phrase there is Jesus said, I never knew you. Not I knew you and got rid of, I ne we never, and here's what Jesus is saying, we never had a relationship. Everything you did was a pretense. Everything you did was a facade. And it wasn't real, it wasn't genuine. So Jesus says that now. And, and people tell me James is harsh, man. I think those are some of the strongest words in scripture. And here's the thing. Is it so bad to stop and examine our faith? Hey, if our faith is genuine and we examine it, it's okay. You're gonna come out all right. If it's false, you're not gonna do so well. But if it's genuine, you're gonna do okay. Through the Old Testament, here's a few scriptures in the Old Testament. That, that encourage us to examine where we're at with the Lord. And again, I don't find anything, you know, it's obviously biblical. So these are some Old Testament passages, Psalm 17, Psalm 119, Psalm uh, 139, Lamentations 3, Ezekiel 18, and Haggai 1, and that's just a sampling of some. And then here's some in the New Testament that do the same thing, challenge us to look at our faith and see if it's real. And that's all James is doing. He's just telling you and I, look guys, check yourselves. Look at yourself. Now, here's what's important. James is not asking wives to check their husbands. Husbands to check their wives. Parents to check their kids. And on and on. Here's what he's saying. Check your heart. You check your heart. Even in close, intimate relationships, the only one who really knows our heart is us. And even then, it seems to me Jeremiah says our heart's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? And then he goes on to say it's the Lord. 
So get real before the Lord. And I believe, listen, I believe that's all that James is asking. So now as we dig into James, uh, the one thing I want to talk about is he's going to talk about trials and things coming in our life. And I want us to think about what our reactions are to trials that come our way to the difficulties that come our way. And I, I wrote this down. I, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of different ones. Number one, I think the number one thing that happens when something blows up in our face is fear. And our fear is, what's gonna become of me? What's gonna happen with me through this? And it, it might be, hey, it might be a physical condition, it might be a spiritual condition, it might be a relational condition, but, but it hits us. And then, and then I think along with fear, then comes anger. And here's what a lot of people say, including myself. Why me? Why does this happen to me? Doesn't God understand how great I am? You know, and we kind of, hey, we don't say those words, but that's what we're thinking. And then after anger, we get into this and we throw a little party. You know what that party is? Yeah, it's the pity party. We try and invite everybody to the pity party, right? And nobody ever, have you ever noticed nobody ever comes? You send out all these invitations and nobody shows up. And then it makes it worse, right? So we have, we have that self-pity and then we have envy of others and confusion. And James is gonna deal with all those. This is what I love. He's gonna deal with all those reactions as he goes through this. So verse one, we kind of talked about it quite a bit. Verse one, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, again, we have James here just addressing who he's writing to, what's going on. And, and hey, I, I kind of love this. I, I love the fact that he says this one thing, to the 12 tribes. There's a thing and. I don't know if you've been in Christianity very long. There are those who believe 10 tribes got lost. You know, and every time I hear that, here's the thing that upsets me. When people tell me there's 10 lost tribes, here's what I'm thinking. If God could lose whole tribes, how could he keep track of me? You know, that kind of, that's kind of fearful, right? Like God just lost 10 tribes? So that's, that's, just, that's just foolishness. And here's proof of it. What does James say? to the 12, to 12 tribes. So God knows he didn't lose him. James knows God didn't lose him. Just some people need to know that God didn't lose him. And part of that comes with the whole thing trying to replace Israel with, with other races and then it, you get into the whole anti-Semitic thing. It's just, it gets weird. Jews are Jews and if you're not a Jew, you're not a Jew. It's kind of that simple to me. You're not part of that. And then, and so he says, listen to the 12 tribes who are scattered. Then he says this thing. Verse two, my brethren, count, uh, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you have memorized that and put that over your mirror so in the morning when you get up, you can be encouraged? We don't like that one. A couple things I want to draw attention to that I think are pretty remarkable when we look at this is the fact that, that here, first of all, James, what does he say? My brethren. Do you know what that tells me? James is letting them know. We are all in this together. I'm not writing just to scold you. I'm not writing just to, hey, we're in this together. And you're my brethren. 
And so as we think about, as we think about James doing that, and again, as he, as he starts the whole letter, what does he say? I'm a bondservant of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Notice, now, some of us, if we were James and we were writing a letter, we would say James, who was conceived in the holy womb of Mary, who was related to Jesus, we would want, and by the way, I am the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He's humble, right? And he's letting them know we're brethren. We're going through this together. He's in this thing together with them. And so I think it's important for you and I to understand, hey, James representing here the Lord, the Lord's in this. And then he tells us something that's difficult. Count it all joy, or I think the better translation is count it pure joy. Authentic joy, real joy, unadulterated joy. Not, and listen carefully. James is not saying enjoy trials. Because I think sometimes we get mixed up. Some people say, you mean when I go through a trial, I gotta go, oh, how much fun. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying to put on a little happy face and a fake face and go through things. Here's what he's saying, and it's an accounting term. You stop and you look at your situation and you begin to evaluate it, and then listen, as you account it, you account this thing that is going on in your life, and here's what you know. God is working in your life, and God is going to use this and you're going to be changed and refined by this, or you're gonna be bitter, one or the other. But something's gonna happen. I remember when I, when I first planted the church in Bisbee, and, and I was having some difficulty. It was a tough time. It was a really hard time. And I was, I was really even thinking about belling on this whole thing of, of being a, a pastor, and I was thinking again, maybe I should do the move to Mexico thing and live up in the mountains if I can just convince Gaynell. But uh, anyways, as I'm processing that and I'm getting ready, and I called this, uh, this other pastor in California that I had served in his church while I was at Bible college and, and, and served with him, and I, and I called him and I go, Tim, man, it's so hard, you know, you're whining. You know, I was inviting him to my pity party. And, you know, it's so hard, it's so difficult, and this stinks, and people are mean to me, and they don't like me. And, and he goes, oh, he goes, you know, praise God, Pat. <laughs> I'm going, Thanks, man. And he goes, well, here's the deal. Now you know they're alive and not dead. And it would be bad to have everybody dead. And I'm thinking, thanks, bye. But hey, those things that come our way, I believe this. They're not by accident. They're not by chance. We need to understand that no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, and honestly, man, I'm not trying to trivialize trivialize anything going on in your life. But we need to understand. I remember somebody said, I read, somebody went to Spurgeon. I don't know how much of you know about Charles Spurgeon, but he started preaching when he was 19 years old, and and he died young because he was overweight, et cetera. But, But somebody went to him. He had gout really bad. And I guess, you know, in the 1800s, or the gout, was, was pretty crippling. And so his gout would flare up and one time he's in bed with his gout and somebody walked up to him, a friend or some acquaintance or something and said, so Mr. Spurgeon, how's your sovereign God working out for you now? And you know what his answer was? I love it, his answer was this. If I did not believe that God was sovereign and in charge of this, I couldn't bear that it's just happening by chance. Wow, 
Is that a good answer? So James, then, and, and here's the guy that, well, well, I don't know how much Spurgeon I was thinking of Luther, but, but listen, man, he got James in his heart. Count it all or pure joy when you fall into various trials. So again, he's telling us, number one, he's telling us we're his brother, and number two, he's telling us, hey, you, you, you put this in the column of joy because you know that God is maturing you and working in your life. And then he also says this, man. He says, you're going to experience trials. Did you pick up on that? He didn't say count it all joy if you experience a trial. Here's what he says. You count it all joy or pure joy when you experience various trials. Here's what that's telling me. It's not gonna be one, it's not gonna be two. Life is hard, life is difficult. And I believe with all my heart, man, if God is not in charge, life is impossible. How can we even do it? How can we even pretend to do it? So hey, he's telling you and I to do that. And most of us don't because here's the thing. Most of us in our accounting, in our little columns in accounting of life, we have a difficult time and especially, listen, especially if we value comfort more than character, then we're gonna be upset with trials. If we're all about comfort and how my life is and we don't care about our character, it's gonna be tough. Or, hey, how about this? How about if we value all of the physical things around us more than the spiritual things? Then when the trial comes, here's the thing, man. We're never gonna count it joy. And we need to get these things in our heart. Or, or how, about, how, about, how about those of us who just live for the present? I live for eternity. Like, I think this place we're living in, I think it's a pretty nice place. Like, I, in, in my personal life, right, for the last, probably for the last 15 years, maybe longer, I just feel like in my personal life, we've been in a good place. We've had trials, but I'm talking about, you know, just, just in a place, and, and, and here's, but here's what I think. We're still living in a garbage can. God's got so much more for us. And this is nothing. So, hey, we can endure trials because we know what's going to happen in our lives. And I am one that I can, I can testify the difficulties, the impossibilities that God has asked me to walk through. Oh, I don't walk through them with a big grin on my face and say, yes. I'm usually whining most of the way. And I'm complaining most of the way. But I get on the other side and then you can say yes. Because he's growing us up. I don't, I don't think most of us in here, I don't think we want to be little babies. Like babies are cute. I think they're really cute. But like when they get to be like 20, not so much. And we kind of laugh about that, but listen, the same thing spiritually. It bothers me when I see people who have walked with the Lord for, for, for decades and there's nothing going on. And most importantly, there's no joy in their life. They're grumpy. They're not fun to be around. They're complaining. And it's like, you need to get saved. So hopefully you're not here tonight. But if you are, you still need to get saved. But, but he says, count it all joy now. Now, that's a difficult thing and a tough thing. We, oh, we gotta go fast. So then verse two. 
So verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse three and four, listen, you count it joy. How can we do that? Because hey, he didn't just throw that out there. He says this, we can do that knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Woo, I wanna be perfect. And listen, he's not talking about reaching sinless perfection. He's talking about growing up. And he goes, here's what you know, man. You can look at that trial right now and you know that that trial is going to make you better and is going to change you and is going to refine you and going to do something in your life if you really believe God, if you really trust God and, tr and trust in what he's doing. Listen to what Paul wrote. I love this as, I, as you think about this, as you think about him saying, knowing that the, the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. Listen to what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter one. For this reason, I also suffer these things, talking about trials in his life, right? Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Do you know that? Do you know that in your heart? No, hey, no matter what runs over your life and no matter what, you know, derails you, do you know? Do you know that what you've trusted to him, he's able to keep it and, until that day? Man, I love, hey, I love Paul writing that and I love placing that in here because when he's talking about, you know, knowing that your faith produces patience, he's not talking about patience like we need to be patient, praise God, but he's not talking about that. He, and listen, he's not saying that patience is gonna have its perfect work. Here's, that, the word here is more like enduring, and you know that, that that work that God is doing, that trial in your life is going to make you better and change you. I think most of us know the whole thing about oysters, right? A little piece of sand gets in there and you start coating it, that irritation. Now, I did read something, and I'm not sure if it's true or not. I read something that clams, the difference between an oyster and a clam, clam spits the little thing out. And most of us do that, right? We get irritants, we spit it out. Once you start covering that irritant with something precious and something good and see what begins to happen. You see, the oyster makes something out of the irritant. The clam just spits it out. So he says, hey, this is gonna do it. And, and, and I just love the idea that all of that is gonna make me perfect and complete and lacking nothing. And in other words, there's a testing. We know that there's a testing of our faith. And our the, test doesn't mean, the test doesn't mean that God is like trying to trip you up. The test means that he's proving your faith. You have to prove things. And again, I think a lot of us know, you understand, if you're, if you're working with metals, you have to prove them generally with heat and you heat them to get the impurities out and, and burn all the dross away. Well, that's all God is doing, man. He's making us perfect. And if you begin to look at your trial that way, you're gonna go, hey, this isn't so bad. You know what? This is gonna make me better and it's gonna perfect me. Now, listen, he keeps going because he doesn't just leave it there because some of us are going, okay, hey, you know what? I think I'm, I'm, think I'm getting a handle on this and I think that I not, well, I'm kind of believing that the testing is gonna do something good in me, but I'm not completely sure. Verse five, then he says this, if any of you la lacks wisdom, 
Let him ask of God who gives all, uh, gives to all liberally without reproach and it will be given to him. Now I love this. Number one, number one, when you approach God with, with this situation, this thing, are you somebody who you believe that he's gonna give to you liberally, that he is gonna take care of you and that he's going to hear you? Yeah. And listen, by taking care of you, I don't mean he's gonna get you out of the trial. Chances are that ain't gonna happen. You're gonna to get to go through the trial. You're gonna make that pearl. So you're gonna to get to go through it, but I believe so many of us forget to ask God, what did he say? For wisdom. In those situations, we need wisdom. We don't need knowledge. We need wisdom. And you go to God and you ask God, God, I need, I need wisdom. I'm not... Like, I'm not connecting the dots. Do you ever sit with God when you're hurting really bad? Whether it's emotionally, spiritually, physically, any of those things. And do you ever, do you ever get honest with him and say, I can't connect the dots, God. And I'm scared. And I'm upset. And right now, right now, I need wisdom in this situation. My Bible tells me the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I sit before him, and I think that fear is not just a being scared of him. I think it's like trusting him. And, and he says, hey, man, if you lack, ask God. Ask, and he will give it to you. That doesn't mean, listen, I, I've, had, I've had students come to me, hey, man, I'm going to do James chapter 5 today on my test. This is not for you to take a test, and you sit, and you go, it's God, I need wisdom, and he's going to give you all the answers to the test. This is talking about real life. And it's talking about the things that we can't understand, the things we can't put together. But the problem is, most of us, we just kind of fake it. We just kind of say the words, but we don't really mean them in our heart. James addresses that. Listen, he's gonna, he's gonna bust some of us really bad. Verse six, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Now, how many times have you heard some faith teacher tell you, all you gotta do is have more faith, and they quote that scripture. It's not what that is talking about. He's not saying that, and, and if you doubt, you're gonna blow it. Anybody in this room doubted? Today? Yeah, he's not talking about wrestling with doubting. What he's talking about is being that person that, oh, you verbalize, yes, I'm asking God for wisdom, but over here you're doing something entirely different. And you're trying to, you're trying to fix it all on your own and you're trying to do it on, and you're not really trusting God, you're just saying the spiritual things and when you're around spiritual people to do that. And he says, hey, you're gonna be one, you're gonna be tossed by the waves, you're gonna be bobbing around, you're gonna look pretty foolish. And he says, for, verse seven, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything for, from the Lord, for he is a double-minded man, unable, uh, unstable in all of his ways. You see, it's somebody who's not sincere, who's not genuine about trusting the Lord. John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. Great book. Do you remember, you remember the character that James, right now James is talking about? Remember, remember John Bunyan's character? Mr. Two-Face. 
You gotta love, you gotta love, man. All of the names he gives everybody, right? And he goes, Mr. Two-Face isn't gonna get what he wants because he's got two faces. One face is doing this and the other face is doing that. And that's what someone's doing. Here's, I, I love this. Listen, James is saying, let's get honest and let's get real. Let's take off all of the facades, let's strip everything and let's be real about this because here's what James knows. They're going through trials. And it's hard and it's difficult. And he's not saying this to make us, make us upset. Here's the reality of life equals trials. And he wants us to walk through those trials without becoming overwhelmed and without becoming wiped out by the trials. It disturbs me when people say, James is so harsh. You know what? I don't think there's anything more loving than someone coming to me and saying, hey, bro, you need to count it all joy when you face various trials because those trials, they're gonna produce patience. And that patience, as it's working in you, man, it's gonna make you complete. And it's gonna make you whole. So man, here's what I want you to do. As you're facing that trial, I want you to stop I want you to think about what's going on. And more importantly, I want you to ask God for wisdom. Ask him, be sincere, get on your face. And you ask him for wisdom. And my God, my God, he's gonna meet you there. But if you're pretending and you're a poser and you're faking it, not so much. That's powerful, isn't it? when we look at it that way. Instead, instead, we just read like these words and just, just like dictate it. James cares about the people he's writing to and he cares deeply about them. And you know what that tells me? God cares about us and he cares deeply about us. So all of us, hey you guys, when you face trials, let's put on our big boy pants. Hmm? Let's pull them up high and let's count it pure joy knowing, knowing that our God is working because he loves us. God's not content just to leave us there. He loves us. Let's stand up and pray.